This is the Closers Only Podcast, the show that helps you unleash your inner sales beast. Here's your host, co-founder of Instruct, Chaba Balog. Welcome everyone on this episode of the Closers Only Podcast. Our special guest today is Chris von Huen. Hi Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, my man. How are you? Oh, good. Uh, finishing up the, the day with this awesome podcast and looking forward to this conversation. So we plan with Chris uh, to talk about on this episode today on building inside sales teams and SaaS companies. So Chris started recently uh, a position at a company called Prodigal, but let, let me throw the ball to you, Chris, and introduce who you are and what your company is and what you are actually doing right now. So our audience is going to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, so uh, my name's Chris Von Heulen, or CVH for short, whatever floats your boat, I don't really care. Um, so my job is, my lovely fancy title is sales director for a company called Prodigal. So we are a compliance or a collection intelligence platform for the compliance industry, meaning we analyze voice data and give you some very interesting insights, also in real time as well. And really like my role is kind of four roles. So I do partnerships, I do SDR work, I do account executive work, and I do sales director work. So right now I'm charged with doing all that and building the infrastructure and then hiring a team and scaling everything up. And it's a hell of a lot of work to do and not lose your mind. So apparently I'm still somewhat sane because I'm talking with you at whatever hour this is, but that's where I'm at right now and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. But that's for fun, right, man? So like, you need to still just blow some steam and uh, talk about what you're doing. So, and that's I think sometimes there's a time when I get some ideas, right? When I when I actually talk mm-hmm. about the things that I have in mind, because let's be honest, yeah, we are like I'm running a company and we have busy, very very busy days, and thinking is a very important part. I think of the process. That's how I see it. It's just yeah. okay. One thing is that you do the work, but another thing is what kind of work you have to do and how do you prioritize that work and how do you execute? For me, it's like, let's just start with the end result. Like, what do you want? Right. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of get funny with it is they're like, Oh, I'm just stuck in this piece, but I'm like, what does success look like and work it backwards. So Mm -hmm. I know exactly in my head where I want my team to go and where I want it to look like and how I want to run it. Like that picture is clear as day. I think about it all the time and keep refining it. Like to your point, right. When I go on my walks, when I'm working out, when I'm talking to people, like you keep refining the image and then you just slow it backwards. So what do I got to do to make that happen? Like what do I have to do today? And anything else that isn't aligned with that end goal is a distraction and you need to eliminate it immediately because you don't have time. Like I've been working till 11 o'clock at night every single day this week, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm starting at 7 a.m. going to 11 right now. That's my hours. And like you just can't afford to get distracted. Right. So it's like, you got to get that crystal clear image of what success looks like. And anything that's not aligned with it, you just got to kick it out. Cause believe me, I got all kinds of people saying like, Chris, you should do this. Chris, you should do that. I'm like, great. But that doesn't align with where I want to go right now. So it just doesn't make sense. So maybe archive it, but don't put energy and time to it because if it's not that zero to one movement, right. If it's not making that astronomical shift, I'm not at the one to 10 stage right now. I'm at the zero to one stage. So everything mm-hmm. needs to kind of pass that zero to one filter. When I get to the one to 10 filter, it's a different set. But right now it's just like, we need to do the massive pieces of the foundation, the big broad strokes and make sure we have like keeping the lights on kind of thing. 
And then we can get fancy with the decorations, the interior, interior designers and all that junk. But for the time building, being, I'm building like the support to this freaking empire that I'm building. And anything that's not aligned with building that support is just, I don't have time right now. Mm -hmm. That was a very interesting reference, zero to one. We are at the zero to mm -hmm. one, one stage. So you can add the decoration after, but now you have to focus on the foundation. But I think mm -hmm. there's just companies, founders, or sales directors, you know, whoever we, we talk about, it's just very confusing what to, what to focus on in that zero to one stage, right? Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, I, I give you an example of what I see right now and what I think, and then you can, you can, you can talk about what, what you think that your company should be focusing on. Um, in the zero to one stage, I think companies really have to nail those foundations of the ideal customer profile, you know, uh, of their buyer persona and the problem they are solving with the platform and getting those pipeline, get that pipeline going, uh, schedule those meetings that you need, you know, to in, in order to fill the funnel. Because right. some companies uh, I've seen in the past, they started focusing on processes in right. the very beginning, but my question is, do processes sell? Or do you actually salespeople sell? Salespeople can sell, but mm. processes not necessarily. And I think the right salespeople with the right processes can sell even more. So the first thing is to sell. Right. And, 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 then, and you can jump in here because I can see that you kind of disagree with me and we can have we can have a conversation about that. So I think right now first thing you get, you need to sell then you need to establish better processes so you need you can amplify that success to get from 0 to 1 and then from 1 to 10 later on. Yeah, so like I think it kind of goes in conjunction with the way I think about it. So like you need the right kind of person with the right makeup. And I know that's very generic, so I'll, I'll explain that a little bit more. So for example, like I'm the only salesperson right now. So mm -hmm. I need to be able to think strategic like sales director level. I also need to be SDR and pick this phone up and make calls. You need mm -hmm. to be able to click through those gears. That's extremely exhausting, by the way, right? Because you're clicking through this high level strat, thinking super finite, working on a pitch, et cetera, et cetera. So you need mm -hmm. a special kind of person that can really kind of jump through a variety of roles all within a day, right? Yep. So for example, I'll have a partnership conversation, then I'm gonna go freaking come up with a new cadence and make a video, like you gotta be able to do all that. So as you're doing that, like you're building your process already, right? And you're kind of testing out and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Cause to me, a process is just like, hey, so here's a series of steps that I think is gonna achieve some outcome and I'm just testing it. So the only way to test it is actually pick up the phone call or take them through your sales process and then you will see what happens, right? You kind of got to wait for that data to come in. And so it's a, it's always like this fine tuning process, even like our sales funnel. I redid our sales funnel. I switched the stages around. Um, I've dialed in our trials a whole lot more. I've made sure that like our discovery calls have to check off certain criteria, you know, I'm coming up with new scripts and new cadences and jumping mm -hmm. into video and like blah, blah, blah. Right. Like you're always testing that, but your overall process should be an iterative one where you're always looking to continually level up. Cause just cause what I have um, works today, doesn't mean it's going to work tomorrow. So I'm not mm -hmm. kind of looking at this 80, 20%, 80% keeping status quo, assuming it's generating the results that I want, 20% always testing just to see, to stay relevant, make sure I'm not missing anything major, and just kind of keeping my mind sharp. If you don't have that process in place, then I just don't see how you're going to be successful for the long term. You'll have a couple pops, 
but you're not going to be able to make it the five years. You're not going to get to 50 million ARR and above because you, you kind of got stagnant. And that's where mm-hmm. I see a lot of danger there too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, what would be the very, very first thing that you would nail, you know, if you had nothing? So if I had nothing, so I'll just tell you, like when I came into the role, we, we didn't even have, like, we kind of had ICP. Like you got to nail the living hell out of your ICP. And like, here's where I see people screw it. They get too wide. Like we sell to everybody. I'm like, great. That means you sell to nobody. You're a startup. You have 10, 15 people, maybe a million dollars in funding. Don't tell me you sell to everybody. You just, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. There is one group within your ICP that gets the absolute maximum value from your product. You need to figure out who that is and you need to get inside their head as intimately as you possibly can. So what that looked like for me is I interviewed, you know, five, six, seven of our customers and just said, hey, what was like life prior to Prodigal? Tell me about the hell that you're going through. And they described it very, you know, emotional because you want the emotional language for your sales copy and to really understand what people are struggling with. Awesome. Now, after you started utilizing Prodigal, what did your life look like? And they talk about value and benefits. Cool. Now, Mike, so say you're talking to a friend in the bar. How would you talk to them about Prodigal? If you're going to go sell our product to your friend, how would you do it? Assuming you're in a bar grabbing a beer. And then they'll walk through all that. So like now you have a really good idea of what problems your product solves, the value and benefits as defined by your current customers, and how they would sell it to someone like themselves. So when you get those key tenets, your outbound sequences get a lot easier, your call scripts, everything gets a hell of a lot easier because it's your customer's language and you know that it hits on relevant pain points and challenges and you know the value and benefits is tangible to them because it came from your customer base. The biggest issue I see with ICP messaging and framework is sales and marketing starts putting in their own funny little words and language that does not sound like their prospects. So your prospect can't self-identify. If mm-hmm. I can't identify with what you're talking about, I'm not interested. I got too many people hitting me up and too many things to do. I don't care. But if I can self-identify, now you have my attention. Now I actually might have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting point. I think it was uh, maybe Dave Gerhardt uh, mentioned how to try to speak with your customer. So instead of coming mm-hmm. up with fancy words, you can go to the competitor landscape on G2 Crowd. Yep. And read reviews there, what kind of words, what kind of language, what kind of verbiage that those people use who use your competitors. Right. And you can build your right. sequences based on that, or you can build your website copy based on that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, uh, but many, many companies, they just try to reinvent the wheel from the very beginning. And why? Try, yeah. <laughs> There's no why, why? Like, seriously, no, like, like, I get super frustrated. I made a whole video series on that. Like, I went to, G2 and Captera and all these freaking websites. And I pulled the copy down. I wrote the emails out. That's in like a video series I did like two, three months ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and for us, like I went on our stuff too. I just looked at it and said, cool, here's the problems. Here's everything like that. I actually ran it by our customers. I'm like, here's everything I'm seeing and hearing. Can you validate? They're like, yep, that's what we're going through. So like, why make it so complicated? Like if you don't have the stuff, then freaking go to your competitors and jack their stuff. Assuming that you deliver that same value. Right now, if it's competitive advantages and they're not your strengths, that's just kind of silly. But assuming it's, you know, generic value that the product solves for, grab that and use it. That's just being smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Even it happens that maybe they just don't have the product market fit in a lot of cases. The startups that right. they try to reinvent the wheel and they try to use some sort of message on the website and sequences. They just didn't manage to nail 
that like not even the ICP, they just didn't manage to nail what kind of problems they're solving. And, and that's why they want to come up. I'm just thinking out yeah. loud here. But then but, like that goes back to TAM, total addressable market. Like what's mm-hmm. your TAM? How much of that can you take? Who's the competitive landscape? Like this is all marketing and SWOT analysis, right? And if you haven't done like a basic SWOT analysis and you haven't done like a TAM analysis, that you shouldn't even go into ICP. ICP is at the bottom of that funnel. Top of the funnel is like TAM, what's the problem? How many people is it affecting? Do some valid market validation. Like, hey, do you have this problem? Yes. Okay. If we solve this problem, what would that mean to you? A, B, and C. Got it. Just at a super high level, what do you think you'd want to pay for a solution like that? What's that worth to you? You know? Mm-hmm. And then go back and look at how much it's going to cost to build it out. It's like, hey, okay, that actually solves the problem. There's a market. There's people willing and able to pay for it. Here's about what they're paying. Does that all work from an economic perspective and margins and everything like that? Like, I think we don't do that. We just jump in like, hey, I have a great idea, but I haven't validated it. But there's a lot of funding around, so I got some money, right? And I think if we just slowed down a little bit and narrowed that in, everything else flows from that. Like, I don't think people understand. Your entire company flows from that initial piece of CAM problems, people willing and able to pay ICP, like sales, marketing, product, engineering, everything stems from that. And I think we just skip that piece a lot. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Man, you're pretty damn smart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just sound good. I sound good. Let's just say that. <laughs> good one. And really, these are, these are good things because, yeah, the, the, the total adjustable, addressable market is usually – it's usually missed uh, even from a lot of sales conversations or a lot of sales posts that I read. Okay. ICP is always a part of that. The persona element is always a part of that. And right. that's also something that I always constantly speak about, you know, on a, on, on a daily, weekly basis to either to our SDRs or to clients. But um, you just, you just open my eyes with, with certain things and I'm certainly going to re-listen this episode. Because yeah. uh, these are all, all true things. Yes. What are your potential buyers willing to pay for? I think that's a very, it's a key question because having funding right. is one thing, but that's, uh, everyone can spend money, right? right. Not right. everyone can make money. And uh, you right. need to sell something people are willing to buy. You can be the best, best salesman in the world. But if you want to sell something people don't need, you won't be succeeding. And, um, and you know, I would circle back to our example, you know, in, in terms of selling struck, which we discussed before we started recording the episode that we seem to be pivoting into something that we can sell better. We can provide service that actually companies need more. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be for personal reasons that we, like my co-founder and I, are more suitable or more suited for this kind of service um, or the market, you know, the COVID uh, outbreak. I don't know what really influenced the decision. I think you cannot really oversee all the different factors in this. But what we see is that, hey, we can sell this. And in one quarter, we we managed to land X amount of clients, right? right. So it's pretty well validated the idea for us that most of this is the thing that we need to move forward with. Right. So it's like, that's why you have like proof of concept, market validation, and then you have to talk about scalability. How big is the pie? Right. Mm -hmm. So just because you have market validation, you got your first 10 customers, congratulations. You have proof of concept. People actually putting money in your bank account. 
how big's the market though? Mm-hmm. Because if your goal is to be a hundred million dollar company, but your TAM is only 10 million, well, my friend, you're SOL. You're not going to go get to a hundred million. Mm-hmm. You're just not, right? But that means you need to pivot your company at that point or readjust the vision. Yep. So I think like, even like my own stuff, like I look at our market, you know, I looked at it and made sure I'm like, hey, how many companies are out here? How many collection shops are out here? How many debt buyers are out here? How many law firms are out here? There's a lot. Mm-hmm. There's thousands. I was like, cool, mm-hmm. we have thousands. Good. How expensive is it to get sued? Really expensive, like five, ten thousand dollars per settlement. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So if I help solve that five to ten K settlement and you're getting like fifteen of those in a year, let's say that's a hundred thousand, hundred twenty thousand dollars, right? And my mm-hmm. product, let's just say my product cost is um twenty percent of that, right? So then you get an eighty percent return on your investment. Pretty sure you're gonna pay for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like those numbers make sense. But for mm-hmm. example, if the pain was only $10,000 in a year and I'm charging you $9,000, so you're getting $1,000 worth of value, probably not enough, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're always fighting against status quo. You got to remember, we're getting the job done today without your product or service. It is mm-hmm. getting done today. So you need to dislodge me from status quo and convince me to change, which we don't like change. I don't care what people say. We don't like change. Yeah. And so that needs to be a pretty damn attractive thing. If mm-hmm. not, I'm kind of comfortable with the crap that I'm dealing with every day. I got used to it. I know how to make it work. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of make sure that the ROI makes sense and that there's a big enough market to support the company, right? Um, and it's something I look at too. Is it's like, okay, let's say I tapped out of my collection space. Can I look at banks? Can I look at financial institutions? Like who else can I sell to? And or can I go back to these companies I've sold, cross sell, upsell, and make more products to touch different departments, right? So maybe instead of just compliance, I start talking to operations and I start talking to sales and I make products for all that. So now the same customer, we land and expand and grow. So there's all these kinds of different models that you really need to think through. And then like partnerships too. Can you get white labeled? Can you have resellers? Is there other ways to grow without you having to put in all the work? Like what's the marketplace look like? Who are the players there? Can you make a partnership that makes financial sense for everybody? And is there enough value that you're offering that they're willing to go take that investment in as well? Because you probably have to build out integrations if it's software, right? I don't know what partner you can work with now where you don't have to build out something to connect and make the systems play nicely, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you kind of think through all of that. And I just don't see that happening a lot. But to me, like, you're like, hey, what do you think about? I think about this a lot. Because if I don't get this done right, then I'm not guiding the, the company correctly. I'm not doing the sales right. I'm not going back to engineering saying, hey, you need to build these features because we're tapping out this market space. We're 80% penetrated and we got 20% left and we're nowhere near the revenue that we want to get to. We need to start looking at other industries and maybe other products and making sure that we still have a lot of runway to hit you know, the numbers that we want to hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thinking. Well, I would I would circle back to that. That's the thinking that's involved in the entire process that I think can be really time consuming, and also it's taking a lot of your energy and power. So it can it can drain you off. And in the meantime, what you said that you also sell. So how do you right. integrate? How do you integrate that? The 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 thinking, the strategizing, looking at the market, uh, thinking about the numbers. Plus, you actually build your pipeline and sell. How do you? How do you try to um, manage your own time and, and prioritize things that matter the most in, in, in a day? Yeah. 
I mean, for me, like, I'm very fortunate where I set, like, weekly goals. So I have a one-on-one with my CEO every single week. Um, we use Asana for task management, project management stuff. And so I have weekly goals that I pop into the Asana. And then I use time blocks on the calendars. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not always pretty. Like, my schedule the last two days has been absolutely hell. And I haven't followed the time blocks. But essentially, what I try to do is put two blocks in, one block for calling, you know, prospecting in the morning, one in the afternoon. And I have a specific block where I say strategic sales work. And that's where I do all this thinking that I just babbled about. So I kind of block it up like that. And then I always give myself room to take meetings because I got to take meetings. And then, you know, you get the random phone calls because, well, this just happened in the deal and this just happened in the deal. And then, you know, your schedule goes out the window and you work until 10 o'clock at night. It's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what you really need to do is give yourself enough leeway to breathe. Like all those people that like have the calendar blocked out to the nines and there's not even a second, it's like you're being inflexible, right? Like your schedule is not going to go that way. I promise. Mm -hmm. So like I give myself like two, three hours a day of just like free time because I know something's going to happen, right? So I just anticipate that. So I put in about four hours of like critical time of stuff I need to get done. The other four I leave open because things just pop up, there's no way I can account for. Yep. And I think that's like the best way I've maintained my sanity. Because if I had such a rigid schedule, then I, I just don't, I would lose my mind. Like I would mm-hmm. just lose my shit, just flat out. Like it's, it's too rigid. Like I, I've had, I did uh, what, 10 hours of negotiations, like two days back to back. That mm-hmm. blew my schedule out for those two days, but it, it helped me sign a large partnership deal. Mm-hmm. So you, you got to be flexible. Now it's like, you know, tomorrow, um, I got to go cold call galore because the last two days I just been slammed in meetings. So it's kind of just like looking at your week and saying, okay, if I can't follow my time blocks, where am I going to make it up? So at the end of the week, I still put in all the hours I needed to put in for the activities and not necessarily just activities. Am I driving the right outcome? So did I have enough conversations? Do I have enough kind of pipeline getting built? What's closing and when? Like you got to look at it holistically and it's hard. Full cycle roles are not easy. But you got to constantly kind of look at your week and just see where the hours are, where your pipeline is, and how long it's taking you to close the deals and get it done, while also knowing that you're refining all the processes simultaneously. And so it's mm-hmm. going to get faster. You're going to ramp and get smarter and better at it. So you'll be able to spend less time doing that same work, which means you can take on more work as you ramp up in your role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, leaving two, three hours every day open is a really, really smart thing to do. Um, I, I think I have that almost every day, that two, three hour, and it's never free. <laughs> it's not like, I swear to God, every time I put that open, I'm like, it ain't, it ain't free. It ain't free time. Something yeah, yeah. happens. Yeah. I'm just taking a look actually. Yeah. Today I, I had uh, like two blocks and no, it wasn't, I was, I was dealing with, I was working on a, on some, some sequences for a client. So no. It's yeah. it's not free. It's just uh, some random things from time to time pop up and right. and or you do, don't manage to do that. For example, in a time block in the morning because something else popped up that was actually higher yeah. priority. Then I needed I need to postpone that to the afternoon or to the evening. So, right. um, what I'm actually really struggling with is being consistent on on LinkedIn. Really want to. Oh. I yeah. really want to do I mean you you are kind of, like I would say that you you are you have big influence on LinkedIn and uh, Thank you. Uh, you you put out videos in a in a time in the west I remember that and walking in the streets yep. right it, it, it's it's been a while I saw those but I remember those videos yeah. right here um and uh, you you put up you you put out posts quite frequently and I really want to do that 
regardless, I block it out in my calendar. There's just something else that I need to deal with. And to, today I was like, I don't care. I need to put out something. <laughs> right. I, so, yeah, I think it's it's hard because you got to really choose like three priorities that really matter. So for me, LinkedIn's taking like a back seat right now. Like I push out content just because I use Buffer, so I get it scheduled, and I do that on my weekends. So that's my Saturday and Sunday mornings, drinking coffee, writing my posts on Saturday, scheduling them on Sunday. That's literally mm-hmm. my process. I don't touch it Monday through Friday, and I can't get in and engage like I used to right now because I'm looking at my calendar and it's like. I don't even know where I'm going to eat lunch today. Like I got a 30 minute break between this. And then after that, like I'm booked until about three, four o'clock my time. I've been mm-hmm. booked to this entire day. So I'm just trying mm-hmm. to figure out when I can even eat, let alone get on LinkedIn and, and comment. Like maybe the couple minutes between I can go check the phone and, and knock some stuff out, but it's just not the massive driver for me. And I like, this is not right now. I, this is other things. So I think yeah. it really comes down to like, what are the top three things? Like if, the house burned down and you had to run in and grab three items. What are those? Look at that. Like your goals, cause like your house is on fire. I eat your company, right? You're firefighting all the time. So you're mm-hmm. firefighting all the time. You can grab three things. What three things are those and why? And mm-hmm. then everything else is going to get burned to the ground. So you got to leave it behind. Same thing for me. It's like, I know what my top three things are, right? Prospecting right now, making sure that the sales pipeline is the tightest it can possibly be. So my deals just convert. Like thankfully my conversion rates are really, really high. So I'm very you know, proud of those and I'm just further optimizing that. And then beyond that, it's just strategic planning. How is 2021 going to look? Product roadmap, you know, things like that. And making sure that I'm going to build out the team that's going to be supportive and that I have like the sales playbook built out. So when they get into the roles, they're successful from day one. Mm-hmm. Everything else right now, just not. Is like again, those are the three things I'm grabbing from my house right now, and it will shift. But I would say those three items shouldn't be shifting every day or every week, or else they're not your true items. Like if you're not holding on to that for at least a good quarter, they're probably not the three most important goals. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, you mentioned um, the full cycle role is very difficult, especially. Yep. Especially considering that you are a sales director, uh, it must be yeah. it, it must be tough, right? Doing the prospecting, running running those demos. Do you do any any customer success as well? So managing those yeah. clients. I, I uh, don't manage per se, but like for example, like the partnership deal that I just signed, I'm still heavily involved in um, getting clients onboarded and ramped up and things like that because that's still tied to my quota and revenue. So I have work to do there. I need mm-hmm. to train their sales team to sell our product. So, cause like my CS team doesn't sell our product, right? So mm-hmm. there is definitely work there on the back end, but generally speaking, traditional CS stuff, I'm not involved. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the reason you actually think that a full cycle rep is better at this stage for, for your company than for example, breaking up the role for an SDR, AE, uh, building the pipeline and closing the deals. I think right now, just like how my industry is, it's very relationship oriented. So if people got passed off, they'd get very offended and pissed off. Um, mm-hmm. This is a very old boys club kind of industry. So everyone knows each other. They've been, you know, people have come from being a collector to now running their own firm. So it's very relationship heavy. And so I don't want to try to come in as a new vendor and have people feel like they're getting passed around. Like it's just an industry that I think frowns upon that a lot. Um, so I think part of my reasons for full cycle AE and why I'm pushing for that is my industry. 
but also just kind of like where we're at. I don't think we're at a stage where it makes sense to split out the roles. Like I can still prospect. Like if I can do four jobs right now and I can still cold call, having just a full cycle AE who is not doing partnerships and not doing sales director work, like you have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. So I just don't see the CAC making sense right now, right? The customer acquisition cost making sense to me at the moment. Um, so especially like if all you're just doing is full cycle AE and you're not like trying to do partnerships and you're not with, you know, product engineering, giving them feedback and building the roadmap out and you're not looking at the sales strategy and your tech stack and your sales playbook and all that stuff, you have more than enough time in your day. Like I honestly, I think a lot of AEs don't work half as hard as they could. They're just waiting on their SDR to kick over a meeting and then they get going and then they blame their SDR if it doesn't go well. But I'm like, well, what are you doing? You're just sitting there looking at Twitter and LinkedIn all day. Like, Go make some cold calls, go prospect, get your own business. Stop being lazy and waiting for someone to hand you your own paychecks. Like go get your own money. Mm -hmm. So what do you, what do you tell to those AEs? Because I've seen many as well in my career that they just didn't prospect what they said as an excuse. They don't have time because they are working on deals, but the most successful I've seen selling millions and Mm -hmm of software annually like millions in in, yeah. in revenue he was always building he was always building his own pipeline yeah. it was like it, and, and it was really strategic you know like he, he yeah. always explained that you don't start building your pipeline two weeks before you want to close it you start building your pipeline quarters ahead even like right. if you want to sell to a huge company we can take an example nike you right. don't you don't want to sell to Nike in a month. You start building that sales process from January so you can sell in September. Right. So at that point I just say, cool, let me sit down with you and see how you're spending your day. Mm-hmm. All right, then I'll sit with you whole day. Walk me through exactly what you're doing the entire day, bit by bit. I'm gonna time block it all out and I'm gonna find so many areas where you're wasting time. I promise mm-hmm. that. You're absolutely wasting time whether it's because you're checking your phone too much or you're on LinkedIn or you're YouTubing or you're just dawdling around or whatever the crap is, I promise you, you're wasting hours a day. And so any A's like, oh, I'm so busy, I can't prospect. Cool, let me sit down and watch you for an entire day. I (laughs) bet you I'll find so many areas where you're just wasting time left and right. Mm -hmm. But then it gets them real uncomfortable because they're like, oh shit. I'm like, yeah, because you know you're wasting your time too. I know I've wasted my time. I know I haven't done the work when I should have done the work. I get that. So I'm calling myself on it too. Mm-hmm. But everyone has 24 hours in a day, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's say at a startup, you're working at least 10 hours because it's a startup. So eight yeah. hour days don't really exist. So at least 10, 12 hour days. You're telling me you are so busy. Your pipeline is so fat that you can't even prospect. You better be at 120% of quota at a minimum. If that's the mm-hmm. case, if you're not at 100% of quota and you're telling me you're too busy to prospect, I don't understand how that can work. You don't have enough pipeline to be that busy, to be quite frank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also a leadership now, it's kind of a phenomenon. I think that it's totally acceptable for AEs not to prospect. And uh, not in I, my world. Yeah. <laughs> not in my world. You're prospecting. Yeah, and I, I really think that one of the things I would ask a salesperson, I'm not talking about AE or SDR, whoever, you know, Yeah. At, on a sales interview, how do you build your own pipeline? Yeah. Walk me through it. Like, yeah. I want you to go cold call me, like cold call me in some of your current product. 
Yeah. You even have to sell mics. I don't, I don't believe in selling like the company's product you're interviewing for because you don't know anything about it. Yep. But it's like, sell me the thing you're most passionate about. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not even sell the current product. Sell me the thing you're most passionate about. Mm-hmm. Cole, call me and sell that. And then write me an email for it. Mm-hmm. And if you can't effectively communicate something that you're most passionate about in your personal life, yeah. you can't prospect. Yep. That's a, that's a very good example. That's actually something I also do. Uh, I'm not saying like, sell me something. I, I don't want this to sound like a, like a test. What mm-hmm. I say is just say, hey, what's your, what's your passion? What's your hobby? And right. one of our guys said uh, basketball. Okay, great. You know, man, I don't like basketball much. Not sure if you do, but really I am not a fan. Uh, like, yeah, tell me why I should care about it. Mm-hmm. And some people, they start saying basketball is really cool because of such a, so they start like pretty much pitching that to you. Right. But he was, what is the reason you don't like basketball? <laughs> so he, he did threw, it the right way. Yeah, he did it the right way. He, he threw it back on me and then was like, I really need to think why I don't like basketball. And he started, he started then asking more questions. And I said, what kind of other sports I like? And I'm a big Formula One fan. I've been following the sport for 20 years. Haven't, yep. missed, haven't missed the season. Uh, really huge, huge fan. And he started making comparisons between F1 and basketball and how I could maybe actually how I could care about the sport, you know, right. or, or the, the, the TV show on the last dance, you know, he referred to that and, and he, he was wondering if I watched it and I said, I watched it and he asked if I liked it. And I said, I liked it. So like he found those kind of commonalities that I actually could make me care about it. Right. So I was like, okay, maybe I should give him a try to this sport and, and just take a look. And yeah, if, if salespeople cannot just, transfer that enthusiasm, that, that passion to other people, then how would they sell a product they, they don't know yet? Right. And I think that's, that's the biggest piece. Like, believe me, cold calling is not fun. Like you're talking to a guy that has to call all the time in the industry. I'm not like, Oh my God, 200 cold calls today, folks. I'm so excited. No, Mm -hmm. but I know at the end of the day, like I want to exceed my number in order to do that. I have to do some things I don't want to do. Am I loving cold calls every single day? No. Sometimes I have great cold call conversations and they're absolutely hilarious and people are laughing. Other days I'm just getting yelled at. It's life, right? Mm -hmm. Sales. But you got to do the work. So stop making excuses and just do the ugly stuff that you hate because the more you let it build up, the worse it's going to get. The worse your pipeline's going to get. It takes 90 days to get your pipeline built, right? So the work I'm doing in January is going to roll into March, April timeframe for me, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you have some early ones that pop in. But just general speaking here, right? Especially if it's enterprise and the work you're doing now is going to help build your pipeline in six months. So you're about 90 days to 120 days out on pipeline generation at any time and point, right? So you know that. So stop sitting around, especially when you're not doing anything and blaming your SDR. Pick up the phone and freaking start dialing. If you can't cold call, then like you shouldn't be closing as an AE. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you can't get someone interested in the product within 30 seconds to a minute, what makes me think you can get someone interested in the product within a 30 minute to an hour long discovery call? Like mm-hmm. all the discovery call is, is an extended cold call. If we think about it, right? Yeah. Cold calls are compressed value proposition and a compressed discovery. You yeah. get them interested to talk longer. Your discovery is to get them interested to get to the demo, to talk longer. And then the demo is like, hey, is this actually real tangible? Are we going to really kick it off? Or are you kicking tires, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, think about it that way. If you can't get it concise in two to three minutes, what gives me the confidence you can convey the value prop and get them interested within 30 minutes? 
Mm-hmm. Like what's going to happen with the additional 28 minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, prospecting is pretty much the most foundational sales skill that every salesperson needs to have. And the SDR, the AE work is not like a totally separate entity from the SDR work. It's no. an evolution to that. So yeah. if that's why I think a lot of successfully AEs have been very successful SDRs. And right. I've seen as AEs that has never been SDRs and they just, they just didn't really succeed after they didn't cut it in my opinion. Mm-mm. Like it's, it is really challenging, but I think SDR just gets you that super tough skin. So it's like, for example, I'm trying to get a contract signed. You can bet your ass. I am calling them daily right now. I am SDRing them at this moment to get the contract signed and just push it through. Right. Mm-hmm. That's SDR work. I am calling, I am texting, I am videoing, I am doing everything I can to get the contract signed. Mm-hmm. If you haven't done that before, do you even know how to do that well without pissing yeah. them off and blowing the deal? Like, do you know how to have the finesse to not torpedo your deal because you're waiting on them to sign? You've mm-hmm. learned that being an SDR. Yeah. Or just generally how to be comfortable with that, right? right. How to feel comfortable being professional and persistent as, as John Barrell says, right? That's what he yep. says that uh, you, you don't have to be annoying in prospecting. You have to be professional and persistent. And, right. I, and I always I always agreed with, with that, what John said, because that's what you have to do. You have to be persistent. But if you've never done that, how would you know? Right. Uh, you, how do you, you need to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and like you're going to burn it. You're going to screw it up. And I think that's what yeah. people get so nervous about prospecting. Like, oh, I did a bad cold call. Man, I've done so many bad cold calls. It's going mm-hmm. to happen. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when and what do you do afterwards. Yep. Right. And I think that's where people get so hung up. Like, that's why I don't hear AEs cold calling. They're like, oh, I'm going to send an email. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone and dial them. Make it real. Right. It's easy to send emails. Those cadences platforms, they just blast them out all day. Pick up the phone and dial and see how it is when you get the CEO on the phone or whoever your ICP is. Right. That's a whole different ballgame, but they get all scared about that. They don't want to do it. And I'm like, well, then you don't want to make money and exceed your quota numbers. Right. Like, again, you got to put in the work, especially when you don't want to do it. That's why I was challenged someone to to really di- like dig in and get the work done. Just like me, like yeah. I didn't want a cold call, but I'm having the most success right now picking up that phone dial and more so than the 200 emails that get blasted out a day. It's mm-hmm. picking up and making 20 to 30 calls, having four to five conversations a day and moving the ball forward. Yeah. And I think that's a very, very good closing thought, Chris, because being respectful of your time and uh, juggling with lots of responsibilities uh, I, I need I need 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 to let you go, right? <laughs> and it's getting 9 p.m. here. Yeah, it's late on your end. Yeah, so yeah, man, it's been it's been really a pleasure talking to you. It's awesome. What would be the final thing? Any any advice that you would you would share with with our audience? Anything that uh, you wish you knew, uh, for example, a year ago that you know now? I think it, it really just becomes, it comes down to find the, the three key things that really make a difference and tune out all the other distractions. We waste so much time in sales chasing rabbit holes and things like that that aren't going to get you anywhere. So get mm-hmm. real honest with yourself. What really matters? And it should be about three things. Imagine you have your house burning down. You can go in and get three things. What three things are you going to get? Why are you going to get those? Set aside everything else and do not stop until you achieve it. Like once you get those pieces, you got to drive it like mad to make it happen. And then you're going to do it all over again. So don't think you're done just because you did it once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. 
Very good, man. Thank you very much for being here. How can people reach you? Where, where can people find you if they want to connect? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn's always the easiest. Um, send me a connection request, reference this podcast, so I know like you're not trying to go pitch me the connect and pitch piece, which I don't mind if it's a good pitch, but make it a good pitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so LinkedIn is uh, LinkedIn is good. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, so but heavily uh, like LinkedIn's usually my main point of contact. So Chris Von Heelan, it's kind of a unique name. Um, search it, I'll pop up. Feel free to add me, and if you got questions or any way I can support you, then just let me know. I'm happy to have a chat. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, my man. For more tips and tips on sales development, check out SalesInstruct.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn. We're happy to connect. Stay tuned for the next episode.